Section six of Toto's Merry Winter by Laura E. Richards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jude Summers. Chapter five The Useful Coal. And now, said the squirrel, when the tea things were cleared away that evening, now for dancing school. If we are going to a ball, we really must be more sure of our steps than we are now. Coon, oblige me with a whisk of your tail over the hearth. Some coals have fallen from the fire, and we shall be treading on them. When the coals are cold, replied the raccoon, I shall be happy to oblige you. At present they are red hot, and meantime, as I have no idea of dancing immediately after my supper, I will, if you like, tell you the story of the useful coal, which your request brings to my mind. It is short, and will not take much time from the dancing lesson. Right willingly, the family all seated themselves around the blazing fire, and the raccoon began as follows. THE USEFUL COAL There was once a king whose name was Sligo. He was noted both for his riches and his kind heart. One evening, as he sat by his fireside, a coal fell out on the hearth. The king took up the tongs, intending to put it back on the fire, but the coal said, If you will spare my life, and do as I tell you, I will save your treasure three times, and tell you the name of the thief who steals it. These words gave the king great joy, for much treasure had been stolen from him of late, and none of his officers could discover the culprit. So he set the coal on the table and said, Pretty little black and red bird, tell me, what shall I do? Put me in your waistcoat pocket, said the coal, and take no more thought for tonight. Accordingly, the king put the coal in his pocket, and then, as he sat before the warm fire, he grew drowsy, and presently fell fast asleep. When he had been asleep some time, the door opened very softly, and the high cellarer peeped cautiously in. This was the one of the king's officers who had been most eager in searching for the thief. He now crept softly, softly toward the king, and seeing that he was fast asleep, put his hand into his waistcoat pocket. For in that waistcoat pocket King Sligo kept the key of his treasure chamber, and the high cellarer was the thief. He put his hand into the waistcoat pocket. Tss! The coal burned it so frightfully that he gave a loud shriek and fell on his knees on the hearth. What is the matter? cried the king, waking with a start. Alas, your majesty, said the high cellarer, thrusting his burnt fingers into his bosom, that the king might not see them. You were just on the point of falling forward into the fire, and I cried out, partly from fright and partly to waken you. The king thanked the high cellarer, and gave him a ruby ring as a reward. But when he was in his chamber, and making ready for bed, the coal said to him, Once already have I saved your treasure, and to-night I shall save it again. Only put me on the table beside your bed, and you may sleep with a quiet heart. So the king put the coal on the table, and himself into bed, and soon was sound asleep. At midnight, the door of the chamber opened very softly, and the high cellarer peeped in again. He knew that at night King Sligo kept the key under his pillow, and he was coming to get it. 
he crept softly, softly toward the bed. But as he drew near it, the coal cried out, One eye sleeps, but the other eye wakes. One eye sleeps, but the other eye wakes. Who is this comes creeping while honest men are sleeping? The high cellarer looked about him in a fright, and saw the coal burning fiery red in the darkness, and looking for all the world like a great flaming eye. In an agony of fear he fled from the chamber, crying, Black and red, black and red, the king has a devil to guard his bed. And he spent the rest of the night shivering in the farthest garret he could find. The next morning the coal said to the king, Again this night have I saved your treasure, and mayhap your life as well. Yet a third time I shall do it, and this time you shall learn the name of the thief. But if I do this, you must promise me one thing, and that is that you will place me in your royal crown and wear me as a jewel. Will you do this? That will I, rightly gladly, replied King Sligo, for a jewel indeed you are. That is well, said the coal. It is true that I am dying, but no matter. It is a fine thing to be a jewel in a king's crown, even if one is dead. Now listen, and follow my directions closely. As soon as I am quite black and dead, which will be in about ten minutes from now, you must take me in your hand and rub me all over and around the handle of the door of the treasure chamber. A good part of me will be rubbed off, but there will be enough left to put in your crown. When you have thoroughly rubbed the door, lay the key of the treasure chamber on your table, as if you have left it there by mistake. You may then go riding or hunting, but not for more than an hour, and when you return, you must instantly call all your court together, as if on business of the greatest importance. Invent some excuse for asking them to raise their hands, and then arrest the man whose hands are black. Do you understand? I do, replied King Sligo fervently. I do, and my warmest thanks, good Cole, are due to you for this. But here he stopped, for already the coal was quite black, and in less than ten minutes it was dead and cold. Then the king took it and rubbed it carefully over the door of the treasure chamber, and laying the key of the door in plain sight on his dressing table, he called his huntsmen together, and mounting his horse, rode away to the forest. As soon as he was gone, the high cellarer, who had pleaded a headache when asked to join the hunt, crept softly to the king's room, and to his surprise found the key on the table. Full of joy, he sought the treasure chamber at once, and began filling his pockets with gold and jewels, which he carried to his own apartment, returning greedily for more. In this way he opened and closed the door many times. Suddenly, as he was stooping over a silver barrel containing sapphires, he heard the sound of a trumpet, blown once, twice, thrice. The wicked thief started, for it was the signal for the entire court to appear instantly before the king, and the penalty of disobedience was death. Hastily cramming a handful of sapphires into his pocket, he stumbled to the door, which he closed and locked, putting the key also in his pocket, as there was no time to return it. He flew to the presence chamber, where the lords of the kingdom were hastily assembling. The king was seated on his throne, still in his hunting dress, though he had put on his crown over his hat, which presented a peculiar appearance. It was with a majestic air, however, that he rose and said, Nobles and gentlemen of my court, 
I have called you together to pray for the soul of my lamented grandmother, who died, as you may remember, several years ago. In token of respect, I desire you all to raise your hands to heaven. The astonished courtiers, one and all, lifted their hands high in the air. The king looked, and behold, the hands of the high cellarer were as black as soot. The king caused him to be arrested and searched, and the sapphires in his pocket, besides the key of the treasure chamber, gave ample proof of his guilt. His head was removed at once, and the king had the useful coal, set in diamonds, placed in the very front of his crown, where it was much admired and praised as a black diamond. "'And now, Cracker, my boy,' continued the raccoon, rising from his seat by the fire, "'as you previously remarked, now for dancing school.' With these words he proceeded to sweep the hearth carefully and gracefully with his tail, while Toto and Bruin moved the chairs and tables back against the wall. The grandmother's armchair was moved into the warm chimney-corner, where she would be comfortably out of the way of the dancers, and Pigeon Pretty perched on the old lady's shoulder, that the two sober-minded members of the family might keep each other in countenance, said she. Toto ran into his room, and returned with a little old fiddle, which had belonged to his grandfather, and stationed himself at one end of the kitchen, while the bear, the raccoon, and the squirrel formed in line at the other. "'Now then,' said Master Toto, tapping smartly on the fiddle, "'stand up straight, all of you. That's the first thing, you know.' Up they all went, little Cracker sitting up jauntily, his tail cocked over his left ear, Coon pawing the air gracefully, but not quite sure of himself, while Bruin raised his huge form erect and stood like a shaggy black giant, waiting further orders. "'Bow to partners!' cried Toto. Coon and Cracker bowed to each other and Bruin, having no partner, gravely saluted Miss Mary, who stood on one leg and surveyed the proceedings in silent but deep disdain. "'Jump and change your feet!' But this order, alas, was followed by dire confusion. Bruin dropped on all fours and frantically endeavored to stand on his forepaws, with his hind legs in the air, throwing up first one shaggy great leg and then another, and finally losing his balance and falling flat with a thump that shook the whole house." "'Dear me!' cried the grandmother, starting from her chair. "'Dear, dear me! Who is hurt? What has happened? Are any bones broken?' "'Oh, no, madam!' cried the bear, rising with surprising agility for one of his size. "'It's nothing, nothing at all. I assure you, I, I was only jumping and changing my feet. But I cannot do it,' he added in an aggrieved tone to Toto. "'It isn't a possible, you know, for a fellow of my build to uh, to do that sort of thing. "'You shouldn't really—' "'Oh, Bruin, Bruin!' cried Toto, wiping the tears from his eyes, "'as he leaned against the dresser in a paroxysm of merriment. "'I didn't mean you to do that. "'Look here, this is the way. "'You jump so, and change your feet so, as you come down. "'There, look at Coon, he has the idea perfectly.' The astute coon, in truth, seeing Bruin's error, had stood quietly in his place till he saw Toto perform the mystic maneuver of jump and change feet, and then had begun to practice it with quiet grace and ease, as if he had done it all his life. The squirrel, meantime, had obeyed the first part of the order by jumping to the top of the clock, where he sat inspecting his little black feet 
with an air of comical perplexity. "'Change them, eh?' he said. "'What's the matter with them? They'll do very well yet a while.' "'Don't be absurd, Cracker,' said Toto rather severely. "'Come down and take your place at once. "'Now then, attention all. Forward and back.' And he played a lively air on his fiddle. The bear brightened up at once. "'Oh,' he said, "'I am all right when we come to forward and back. "'Tum tiddy tum 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 tum.' And he pranced forward, put out one foot, and slid back again, with an air of enjoyment that was pleasant to behold. "'That's right,' said the master, approvingly. "'Stand a little straighter, Bruin. "'Cracker, you don't point your toe enough. "'Hold your head up, Coon, "'and don't be looking around at your tail every minute. "'Tum-tiddy-tum-tum-tum-tum-tum, "'tum-tiddy-tum-tum-tum-tum-tum. "'Balance to your partner. "'Here, Bruin, you can balance to me. "'Turn, partners, and back to places. "'There, now you may rest a moment "'before we begin on the waltz step.' "'Ah, that is my delight,' said the squirrel. "'What a sensation we shall make at the wedding! "'One of the woodmouse's daughters is very pretty, "'and such a nice little nose and bright eyes. "'I shall ask her to waltz with me.' "'There won't be anyone of my size there, I suppose,' said the raccoon. "'You and I will have to be partners, Toto.' "'And I must stay at home and waltz alone,' said Bruin, good-naturedly. "'It is a misfortune in some ways to be so big.' "'A great fortune in others, Bruin, dear,' said Pigeon Pretty affectionately. "'I, for one, would not have you smaller for the world.' "'Nor would I,' said the grandmother heartily. "'Bruin, my friend and protector, your size and strength are the greatest possible comfort to me, coupled as they are with a kind heart and a willing—' "'Pa!' cried Toto. "'Your sentiments are most correct, Granny dear.' "'But Bruin must not stand bowing in the middle of the room, "'even if he is grateful. "'Go in the corner, Bruin, and practice your steps, "'while I take a turn with Coon. "'And you, Cracker, can—' "'But Master Cracker did not wait for instructions. "'He had been watching the parrot for some minutes, "'with his head on one side and his eyes twinkling with merriment. "'And now, springing suddenly upon her perch, "'he caught the astonished bird around the body, "'leapt with her to the floor, and began to whirl her around the room at a surprising rate, in tolerably good time, to the lively waltz that Toto was whistling. Miss Mary gasped for breath, and fluttered her wings wildly, trying to escape from her tormentor, and presently, finding her voice, she shrieked aloud, Let me go, you wretch! Let me go this instant, or I'll peck your eyes out! I will... Oh, no, you won't, my dear, said Cracker. "'You wouldn't have the heart to do that. "'For then, how could I look at you, the delight of my life? "'Tiddy-tum, tiddy-tum, tiddy-tum-tum-tum. "'Just see what a pretty step it is. "'You will enjoy it immensely, as soon as you know it a little better.' "'And he whirled her round faster and faster, "'trying to keep pace with Coon and Toto, "'who were circling in graceful curves. "'Suddenly the grandmother uttered an exclamation. "'Toto!' she cried. "'Did you put that custard pie out in the snow to cool? "'Bruin doesn't like it hot, you know.' "'Toto, his head still dizzy from waltzing, "'looked about him in bewilderment. Uh, "'Did I?' he said. "'I'm sure I don't know. "'I don't remember what I did with it. "'Oh, yes, I do, though,' he added hastily. "'It is there on that chair. "'Bruin, 
Bruin, I say, mind what you are about. It is just behind you. Thus adjured, the good bear, who had been gravely revolving by himself in the corner until he was quite blind, tried to stop short. At the same instant, the squirrel and the parrot, stumbling against his shaggy paw, fell over it in a confused pile of fur and feathers. He stepped hastily back to avoid treading on them, lost his balance, and sat down heavily <clears throat> on the custard pie. At the crash of the platter, the squirrel released Miss Mary, who flew screaming to her perch. The grandmother wrung her hands and lamented, begging to be told what had happened, and who was hurt, and the unfortunate Bruin, staggering to his feet, stared aghast at the ruin he had wrought. It was a very complete ruin, certainly, for the platter was in small fragments, while most of its contents were clinging to his own shaggy black coat. "'Well, old fellow,' said Toto, "'you have done it now, haven't you? "'I tried to stop you, but I was too late.' "'Yes,' replied the bear solemnly. "'I have done it now, and I have also done with it now. "'Dear madam,' he added, turning to the old lady, "'please forgive me. "'I have spoiled your pie and broken your platter. "'But I have also learned a lesson which I ought to have learned before. "'That is, that waltzing is not my forte, "'and that, as the old saying is, "'a bullfrog cannot dance in a grasshopper's nest. "'This!' is my last dancing lesson. End of section 6